0: Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: It's a little crazy out there right now, so Fangoria is offering a free two-month digital membership to everyone. Go to Fangoria.com for more information and to make an account. Then pour over all the exclusive articles, interviews, and reviews on the site, as well as original video content and podcasts, like this one. You'll even have access to high-resolution scans of the first 15 issues of the original run of Fangoria magazine, and counting. Go to Fangoria.com now to start your free digital membership. And if you're looking to add to your social distancing watch list, Fangoria's latest movie VFW is now available to stream on demand, and Satanic Panic is now available to watch on shutter. And by the way, So is Nightmare Cinema. Fangoria's latest movie, Porno, is available on demand now. When five teen employees at the local movie theater in a small Christian town discover a mysterious old film hidden in its basement, they unleash an alluring succubus who gives them a sex education written in blood. See the movie some moms are calling not family-friendly at all. Porno is available on demand everywhere. Also, we are very excited to welcome the Boulay Brothers to the Fangoria Podcast Network. Join horror hosts, producers, writers, and drag icons for their new show, the Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night on the Fangoria Podcast Network. On each episode, the Boulay Brothers welcome listeners to join them as they discuss the latest projects they're working on, share behind-the-scenes details from their hit show, The Boulay Brothers' Dragula, streaming now on Netflix, and more. Subscribe now and listen everywhere you get your audio content. I'm Mick Garrison. We are here once again for the fun size episode of Postmortem AMA, where you can ask me anything. And producer Joe, what kind of questions do we have from the audience today?
2: Well, hello, Mick. Uh, we have a question from Devin. We'll start with an easy one. He asks, what's the best vegan spot in Los Angeles?
1: <laughs> well, I've tried a lot of them, as you might have guessed. And... Strangely enough, the best one of all is the restaurant that's closest to my home. It's called Hope, and that's H period, O period, P period, E period, for healthy, organic, positive eating. And like most L.A. vegan spots, they're primarily uh, Thai food. And this one is absolutely great, and it's run the owner and uh, chef. Her name is Maud, M-O-D, like Mauds and Rockers. And uh, the food is amazing, and the Penang curry in particular is what I would recommend. So now we got things underway with the culinary aspects of post-mortem.
2: You've also told me that Don Coscarelli's daughter owns her own vegan place, and that's pretty good too, right?
1: Yeah, Chloe's. Chloe Coscarelli is a brilliant vegan chef, and she's got cookbooks and all that stuff. And I, I think there's been a little bit of... Um, hassles going on between her financiers and herself and and so I don't know what the status is of her restaurants right now but she's a very talented chef and really great food and uh, like I said has written cookbooks and all of that stuff
2: well, there you go, Devin.
1: You get two, two for
2: two for the price of one.
1: There um, you go. We <laughs> are going to do our food uh, series next. Our next <laughs> podcast is cooking in the kitchen with with somebody.
2: Mick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Janelle writes, uh, "Hi, Mick and Joe. What impact has quarantine had on the two of you? We've we've been in quarantine now for a couple of
1: weeks." What's it been like, Rick? What's Easily a couple of weeks, a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, well, as far as the podcast is concerned, it has changed things tremendously in that we do it remotely. You and I are not in the same room as we usually are. And with our guests, uh, our last several guests have had to be recorded remotely. And you know, you get so much more in a face-to-face conversation than it's possible to do through screens. But fortunately, it th- things seem to work out. You know, we we do have a video connection while we're recording these shows, as well as the audio connection. So it's still personal in that regard. But um, you know, it as far as the show goes, it definitely uh, feels like I'm dying to get back into into personal conversations like that
2: yeah how how has it been for you general meeting wise like like entertainment meeting wise
1: well it's very weird because a lot of the meetings uh, there were a couple of projects that uh, i was maybe going to direct during the summer and those meetings have been put off because they don't know when there's going to be production again yeah um so uh that has changed things but we still do zoom meetings and You know, there are gangbang meetings on on video that are, again, would be so much easier to have if we were doing them in person than a bunch of postage stamp size images of all these people in a a conference room uh, or virtual conference room.
2: But and by, uh, by gangbang you mean group large groups of people, not actual gangbangs. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes, of course. You know me better than that. Uh,
2: well, you know, you never know. I mean, you know.
1: <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, but, it is, it personally, is Hollywood. <laughs> personally though, you know, I, I I get out for a couple of hikes a day and and uh, but uh, you know I'm used to socializing and having you know Uh, meetings over at aroma over uh, lattes Mm -hmm. and things or having lunches and all of that stuff has changed Um, but as a writer I'm used to being in my office and writing Uh, I'm just not on the boards and directing like I would like to be and uh, uh, so personally my wife and I are at home a lot as we are whenever I'm not in production anyway so it's not that much different how about you Joe
2: I mean pretty much the same uh you know I think people are slowly starting to get used to these zoom meetings. It's nice not to have to schlep you know to Santa Monica for meetings you know for one hour or in uh, your
1: case to shave
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's true I've grown a beard uh but it, it trust me this is this is the trimmed up version you you could have seen I was a mountain man over the weekend it's <laughs> uh but uh, Crystal, Crystal wanted no more of that. So yeah, I mean, you know, but it's been okay. I mean, you know, like you, both my wife and I work from home, so uh, you know, I, I do all my entertainment writing and stuff from home. So you know, I, I'm, it's it's not that different in terms of other than you know just more digital meetings. And I do miss people. I miss going to restaurants. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've been doing takeout on the weekends just to kind of try to support the economy and support, you know, local restaurants that we love.
1: Um, and that's great to do takeout rather than to call and do DoorDash and Grubhub and that sort of thing. Because those organizations, a lot of people don't realize, take up to 30% of yeah. the money that is paid for the food. So if you can take out, here's our public service announcement. Yeah. <laughs> if you can take out rather than have a third party delivery, it really helps the restaurants a lot. But
2: I found that, and I don't know how you feel about this, but creatively I find myself waffling between uh, being really productive and excited and then also remembering that there's no production on the horizon and why are we even doing this?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, when you're doing spec anyway, it doesn't right. matter. But, sure. but you know, for me, it has had a psychological impact. It's been so enervating that I feel kind of creatively depleted. Um, you know, I'm not as eager to sit down and write and, and inspired and excited like I usually am. So my, uh, my output has not been what, uh, I would like it to be. And, uh, hopefully now that things are maybe on the way towards becoming a new normal whatever that new normal is it will include inspiration on my behalf
2: yeah i think one one exciting thing i just found out today is one of the projects that i'm attached to as a producer they're looking at trying to shoot in september in new zealand uh wow. because new zealand is they can they're 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 un, they have this thing under control
1: so speaking of which uh i'm very excited for joe producer joe here because his first movie as a co-writer and director, The Opair Nightmare, is making its debut on Sunday night. That's May 17th on Lifetime. It's The Opair Nightmare, and you should definitely check it out and see what my partner in crime here has been up to.
2: Thank you, Mick. Uh, we're very excited. You know, we were, uh, the reason I've been hesitant to say where it was going to air in the past is they were trying to figure out where they were going to schedule us, and originally we were going to air on their Lifetime movie network, which is where most of their acquisition movies go. And, uh, and the execs liked it so much, they promoted us to the main Lifetime network.
1: And uh, Sunday night, which is the biggest viewership night of the week.
2: Yeah, and, and we're their Sunday night movie of the week, which is really exciting. Uh, Yay, so congrats. Yeah, congrats. Thank you. Uh, and, and thank you for all the, uh, the great advice and support along the way. Uh, oh, so uh, shall we get back to these questions? Oh, Please. All right. <laughs> Uh, So another Joe asks, what do you think indie filmmakers should be doing during this pandemic to stay creative?
1: Writing. Yes. By all means. That's the one thing you can do in an isolated condition uh, where you don't have to... uh, interface with anybody in person. You know, in production, you can't really do it unless you are very clever in doing something, uh, you know, on computer screens or Zoom meetings or things like that. But uh, you can write anytime, any place. And that's what I would recommend. And that's, you know, the keystone of filmmaking is the script. That's the foundation. And uh if you don't spend time on the script you're gonna make a shitty movie so by all means exercise those uh keyboard fingers while uh while you have the opportunity and in while you're being kind of forced to do it. Yeah so, uh, that would be my recommendation.
2: I agree. And that's what I've been doing, you know, when when the productivity mood strikes. But I think also during this period of time, like you said earlier, don't be afraid to embrace the weirdness of the situation. Writers write on emotion, and if your emotions are feeling, you know, fluxed, that's okay, you know?
1: Yeah, um, it's yeah. a great way to encourage your paranoia and, you know, do it creatively. Your depression and put the, the the more intimate and personal you can make any story, the better. And as a writer, now is a really good time to plumb those depths. I agree. Next up, we
2: have Kutamaro, they ask, what is your favorite horror movie creature transformation? Mm. I feel like I know the answer to this, but <laughs> you've seen a lot of memorable ones over the years. So I'm-
1: That's true. I mean, some of the most wild are the, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, but the ones that really broke the ground, both happened within months of each other in 1981. And that is The Howling and An American Werewolf in London. Um, they were both kind of conceived by Rick Baker, who was going to do American Werewolf first, and then The Howling got the green light first. And so um, Rick recommended Rob Botine, who was his young protege, to do that. And uh, so he did The Howling, and it was the first head Transformations, but John Landis got the green light shortly afterwards and said, Rick, what are you doing? And so uh, he had Rick do that, both of them drawing on the work of Dick Smith, who kind of created the change-o-head concept that was refined by Rick Baker and Rob Botine. But I remember going to a sneak preview. I was working, doing publicity at Avco Embassy at the time, and the first screening ever of The Howling. Uh, it was a sneak in Las Vegas. And when that transformation took place, it was a packed house. They were screaming and laughing and yelling all the way through it because nobody would ever seen it before. And so it it kind of dampened the thunder of an American werewolf. But they were both done in very different ways, although using similar techniques. So both of those, I'd be hard-pressed to, uh, to pick a favorite of either one
2: i i really truly felt that that was going to be the answer the the amazing thing is you got to work publicity really for both of those movies
1: i did Uh, although i was never on the set of american werewolf which shot in the uk i was on the set of the howling and of course did a cameo in the howling um and was around for sneak previews of an american werewolf and and to be able to do Uh, That famous uh, Fear on Film roundtable with Carpenter, Cronenberg, and Landis happened because I was doing publicity for Universal and came up with the idea of doing that, all of whom had Universal horror movies come out within that year. So yeah, it was great to be able to kind of get an up close and personal look at that stuff. To be on the set of the thing, for example, and watch yeah. the the famous scene where the head comes off and goes down the table and sprouts spider legs and <laughs> skittles off down the hall.
2: Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's amazing. The Zelig of horror.
1: That's me. <laughs> <laughs> the Gump uh, of horror, perhaps. <laughs>
2: <laughs> not a not a bad place to be. Uh Brandon writes, how did you come to cast one of my favorite young actors in Riding The Bullet, Jonathan Jackson?
1: You know, Jonathan is an amazing actor. I was not familiar with his work. It, mostly it had been in um, soap operas. And I think it was The Young and the Restless or something that he was a regular on, which, of course, I've never seen. Of course. But, um, He came in and read for me, and a lot of really terrific actors came in and read, but he had a couple of advantages that I'll get to in a second. A lot of them came in, it takes place in 1969, and if you lived in 1969 and you were not lame, you had long hair, um, a lot of actors came in in wigs, and I'm allergic to wigs in movies because they never, ever look real, no matter what people say it's going to be. Uh, And so I knew that I wanted to get and could find a really talented actor. And it sounds petty, but who had long hair for real but it acts differently when you move. Um, It's a big difference. And it's a big part of that character. Now, he didn't have hair to his shoulders, but he had hair that was typical in 1969. And his acting, I can't imagine anyone else playing that part. He really went deeply. And really, there is such an emotional resonance in his performance there that... um, that rang the bells that that uh, rang when I read King's story in the first place. And so we read a lot of people and the ones who were, the ones I were closest to casting, the best ones other than Jonathan had short hair. And uh, so I would have hired him anyway, based on his performance, but thank goodness, he also had the veracity of a real hair. <laughs>
2: The other, the other interesting thing too, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. You know, because he does have that soap opera background. Is a lot of directors like working with former soap actors because they they know their stuff. Because soaps are so they they're they're, they're so uh, they work so quickly and they have to know their lines. And uh, did you did you notice anything like that working with them?
1: Well, they know their lines. Um, it can work for you or against you. I've seen a lot of actors who've done a lot of soaps where they get bad habits from it because it's so rushed they rely on the exaggeration that that often stage actors are required to do to to preach to 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 reach the proscenium right you know um, so a lot of bad actors because you work so not bad actors but a lot of bad habits are acquired when you work really quickly and you have a character and you know who that character is and it doesn't really change much Um, in jonathan's case and other actors who have worked in in soaps. It can also be a positive in that you have to learn reams of dialogue every single day, you're doing a new show. um, And it really forces you into um, a precision and an ability to think on your feet and an ability to learn your lines and then forget it and be able to do it without concentration. So that turned out to be a real positive. And, and Jonathan is just plain good actor and a pleasure to work with um, and took things very, very seriously. And I, uh, I like him a lot. And I look for the chance of working with him again.
2: Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll all start working again soon. <laughs> one day. Uh, one day uh, when there's a vaccine. Uh, our, last, <laughs> our last question today comes from Stuart, who asks... Do you prefer the film world post-social media or pre-social media?
1: What do you think? Has has social media changed the business for you at all? Well, it has in good ways and bad ways. The word can get out for films that would have otherwise been ignored. Um, you know, if you go to film festivals, that's great. You see these movies and people talk about them. But before the world of social media before Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and, you know, everything, um, there wasn't really a platform to discuss those other than, well, first it was the magazines, then it was the websites which preceded social media. Um, So it has helped in terms of spreading the word but it has also hurt because it's anonymous and there are a lot of people who just like to spill bile on anything that they can that, um, you know, there's a lot of jealousy out there. So if someone gets a movie made, they become a target because they were able to, and their friends weren't or, um, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of nastiness out there and the, the marketing of the internet, uh, and and social media is such that there is less value to a movie when you have easy access to it um, from the streaming sites and that kind of goes hand in hand with the access from social media a lot of people are you know posting uh links to illegal uh pirated films on social media that sort of thing so every time you do that you're pulling money out of the maker's pockets, and the likelihood of them being able to make the next one drops tremendously and perilously. So it, it's a two-sided coin. It's it's great, and it's awful, like so many things.
2: I will say, just to add one thing, too, is I feel like we have really great fans. You know, uh, I feel like the, are the people who follow Postmortem and follow you on social media who I've interacted with have been mostly, almost all of them, genuine and generous and kind. And we have really great fans. And I just I feel like...
1: And, and that sounds like we're just jerking a, a chain here. But um, it's true. And I find that to be true of most genre fans. They're intelligent. They um, are supportive of one another. Like we've talked about the Masters of Horror Dinners so much. The The filmmakers within the genre themselves are bound together by being the gutter snipes. And I think the fans, what binds them together in ways that other genres don't is we're, we feel it's special that we possess this genre that we're a part of it and we actively promote it and support it and all of that and everybody says oh our fans are the best but it's really true the reviews that have been on itunes and everything have been so supportive of this podcast and you know there's an intimacy about telling stories about fear and about tapping into those emotions that we share with one another that are universal and uh, and that is something that we didn't have as much access to before social media people would not have known about nightmare cinema and other things that we've worked on
2: i was just going to say nightmare cinema you know we had a very small marketing budget for traditional marketing means and most of i think the success of the movie i think the reason we were the number 2 movie on shutter last year is because of social media and because of chat on social media. It can
1: be a huge difference maker for an independent film. I don't think Shudder would exist without social media.
2: I mean, every Friday night right now during quarantine, it's like it's happening with The Last Drive-In. So, Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> okay, we love you.
2: That's right. <laughs> uh, well, I think that'll about wrap it up for today, Mick. Thank you for taking the time.
1: Oh, Out of quarantine. Thank, you. <laughs> thank you as always Joe and congrats and good luck on the Au Nightmare and this has been Ask Mick Anything and if you would like to ask me anything send your questions to uh, at Joe Russo tweets on Twitter and uh, at Mick Garris PM on Instagram and Twitter and Post Mortem with Mick Garris on Facebook Thank you and we'll see you next time If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to Producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's at Mick Garris PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, MickGarrisInterviews.com. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick
2: Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.
0: Calling on coffee drinkers. If you've been trying to enhance your daily coffee routine, then Quest has got your back with their brand new iced coffees. Now available in two delightfully delicious flavors that'll be sure to add an extra pep in your step. Vanilla latte and mocha latte. Quest has been on a mission to help fuel you with protein-forward foods you'll love. Each bottle of Quest iced coffee is packed with 200 milligrams of caffeine, the same amount as two cups of regular coffee, plus 10 grams of protein per serving to help you supercharge your day. And did I mention that they only contain one gram of sugar? It might just be time to cheat on your iced coffee with iced coffee. Find Quest Iced Coffees on Amazon.com slash questnutrition. That's Amazon.com slash questnutrition.